Hello, this is Carl Bastian, and I am so glad to be back here with you on Kidman Talk for what is the 83rd podcast in this Kidman Talk series. Hey, I have been so super busy the last few months, I have not even had time to do a podcast, but I am so thankful for those who email and tweet and Facebook message and say, hey, we missed your podcast. That is a great encouragement to me. So I am here and I'm back and I've got a topic today that I think is really going to encourage you. And I pray for some of you, it is extremely timely because it's going to be all about how to deal with discouragement in ministry. Because yeah, kids ministry it can be pretty tough. So sit back, relax, and let's talk Kidman. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, is the life of a children's pastor crazy. You know, I took a break from full-time children's ministry when I became a dad, and I really enjoyed that phase of discovering what it's like to be a children's ministry volunteer. So I got to be a game leader, and I got to be kids' church teacher, and I got to be a small group leader. I even was an usher in big church for a while because they were giving out free t-shirts. But anyway, really enjoyed that phase. But as you probably know, last summer, I became a full-time children's pastor again, and I'm loving it. It is a blast, and the exciting things are happening, and our church is growing, and we're needing, building a new building, but i got to be honest with you. There's some days that, that I think, what have I done? <laughs> I mean, every single week, every week is filled with tough choices and with challenges, and of course, you know this because you also are in children's ministry. So I have frankly just not had time to do a podcast. I know. I'm a full-time children's pastor now. And uh, like, where, what did I used to do with my time? It's It's been a little crazy. In fact, I thought I was busy when I was full-time with Kidology. And now I'm like, man, I had all the time in the world. Because now is when I really have to make tough choices every day in order to keep healthy, keep my family balanced, and all those things that I've learned over the last few years. And um, but because it's tough, so hey, I'm glad to be back. Another reason I sometimes didn't do a podcast is, frankly, I wasn't sure what to talk about. I don't want to always talk about my own ministry and my own challenges because you know I I don't want to you know embarrass my own team or my own church or, or feel like I'm talking about them on my podcast. And so a lot of times I've just been dealing with stuff and doing things and enjoying ministry. And um, and honestly, I, I've gone to record a couple times and I'm like, what in the world should I talk about? You know, when I get into a natural conversation with someone, it, it's not hard to share my passion, my experience, what little expertise I may have, or, or just insights from what I've learned. But conversation is always so much easier because it's it's a two-way thing. And when I sit down to record, of course, I'm sitting here looking at my computer and talking to you and knowing you're there, and that's why your feedback is so important. But also, as I've always said, you can shape the show. So please don't assume that lots of people are doing it because most of most listen and they're, they're as 
busy as you and I are. And so they never get around to it. So if there's something you're wrestling with or something you'd like me to address or to talk about, please do let me know. You can email me, carl at kidmantalk.com. You can tweet at kidologist or at kidmantalk. Just go to the website. You can fill out our contact us form in, in my awesome staff will direct it to me. And I don't always, of course, have the answers, but I'm happy to chew on stuff with you, share what I've learned, share resources and, and insights and, 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 and what other experts have said and what I've read and stuff like that. And I would love for you to help me in that way. But man, I have not even been at this new church for a year. And I got to tell you, there are days that I think, man, it would be really nice to go back to not being a children's pastor. I mean, I'd have more time with my family. I'd be under less pressure. I'd have nobody mad at me. (laughs) I'd be in control of my time and my tasks. In fact, I'd get to spend every Sunday afternoon with my family going out to lunch. Boy, I I went like three or four, almost a month where I couldn't even have lunch with my family just because of different meetings and, and stuff like that. And boy, they are so gracious. But why Why did I choose to do this? In fact, when I went full-time with Kidology, I had a few friends, good friends, respected friends, wise friends, who also had gone full-time with a nonprofit ministry that they founded or in some other ministry. And they said, Carl, once you get a taste of life not being a pastor, you will never go back. And those warnings kind of haunted me because I knew deep down my calling was to be a children's pastor. And so I I kind of defied those odds and I'm back. But I got to tell you, there are days I think, what have I done? This life is incredibly discouraging and it can be stressful and it can get you down. And I know that I'm not alone in that because... I read emails and I read forum posts posts, and I'm on a bunch of these Facebook groups that a new one pops up every week of children's pastors talking to each other and encouraging each other and looking for help and solutions. And so I want to share with you some of my secrets for hanging in there because I want you to hang in there. The average time of a children youth pastor is less than three years. And I think it's because the wind gets knocked out of their sails. They get discouraged and they give up or they think, man, this is not the job for me. So how do you deal with the discouragement that comes in ministry? Well, first of all, you've got to realize that kids ministry is not for wimps. I mean, this is not all fun and games. This is a serious job, and it's a tough job. In fact, I believe it's one of the most difficult jobs in the church. I would reserve to say the senior pastor's job is probably tougher. I mean, he's not only overseeing children and youth and family and budgets and facilities and everything else. And if, you, if you're lucky enough to have an executive pastor, then, then obviously they've got a big load. But when you just talk about ministry leaders that are over an area of ministry. I mean, children's ministry by far has the most hours of programming. By far, it requires the most volunteers. There's the most oversight and management of volunteers, the most training 
is needed. Often, children's ministry have the most programs from nursery and preschool to elementary, Sunday school, kids' church, maybe a midweek club. Maybe you've got some service crews. Maybe you have a special needs ministry or a mops ministry or divorce care for kids of divorce. You've, then you've got events like VBS and outreaches and mission trips and, and parents' nights out and movie nights and overnighters. And then on top of all that, you've got the most administration of any ministry. And I'm so blessed to have an awesome admin in my current ministry, but I've done ministry in churches where I wasn't given any administrative help, and I was doing that myself. All of the curriculum ordering, all of the background checks, all the security stuff, all the, you know, the ordering of supplies, the administration is ginormous. But it also is one of the ministries that has the most scrutiny because everybody cares about the kids and their kids. And that, that can mean that you can get a lot of criticism, a lot of complaints. In fact, you probably get more complaints in children's ministry than any other pastor, except maybe the worship pastor. I know people are always complaining about the worship because, you know, there's so many different worship styles and preferences out there. And the worship pastor has to deal with that. But they have... In children's ministry, the most Saturday night or Sunday morning emails and texts just saying, I can't be there. And whether the reason's legit or not doesn't matter. It's got to be dealt with. All right. The most equipment to keep up with. Children's ministry, we've got soundboards and computers and checking computers and, and printers and VCRs and DVDs and things on the wall and things in the counters. Just so much equipment and the most supplies. I mean, when you're talking curriculum supplies and books and craft supplies and cleaning supplies and, and all the stuff for the nursery, for the moms and the preschoolers and all the snacks and the crackers and the, you know, the goldfish and the, the juice and the cups and everything. And often the most meetings. I mean, the executive pastor might beat you on that because he's meeting with everybody. But as far as meetings with your staff, meetings with your volunteers, meeting with staff that are overuse, meeting with peer staff, meeting, you you can be meeting to death. I, I, I have a children's pastor friend of mine who uh, became a children's pastor. and uh, It lasted less than a year. And he, he told me the main reason he was just meeting to death. He just couldn't even get to ministry because he had so many meetings at his church. So there is a lot of stuff that you have to do. And that's all before just doing what you love to do, teaching the kids, discipling kids, you know, relating to kids, uh, doing evangelism. Um, you have to give constant um, attention almost weekly to things like staffing and scheduling and facility use and structures and strategies and systems, supplies, staff relationships, event planning, evangelism, follow-up, budget management, communication, getting the word out about things and making marketing materials, postcards, flyers, letters, emails. And then you've got to be encouraging people. Of course, that technology is always breaking down and you're dealing with that. There's conflict resolution. Plus, you may have Things on top of the normal children's ministry, like your special needs ministry, or emergency events, like people die, and there's a funeral, and there's coaching then, and, and counseling. And another thing that's often overlooked is that as a children's ministry leader, you have four 
distinct groups of people that you have to minister to. I mean, most pastors, most leaders have one group of people. They're dealing with the men, they're dealing with the women, they're dealing, you know, with uh, the choir, or they're dealing with the worship band. But you have four distinct groups, each with their own needs, their own expectations of you. You've got a congregation of kids. You are the kids' pastor. You are ministering to kids. So you are counseling kids, teaching kids, relating to kids, visiting kids, you know, following up with kids. But then on top of the kids, you have the parents. You have the parents' needs, the parents' expectations. You're answering questions for parents and you're ministering to parents and you're partnering with parents and you're providing training and resources to parents. But then you have your volunteers and you have to recruit them and train them and orient them and background check them and get applications from them and keep them encouraged and get them the supplies that they need and schedule them and deal with the things that come up and just managing them. And then on top of that, you've got all your staff relationships, whether it's getting along with the staff over you, working with your peer staff. And so you You've got a lot of spheres that you oversee. It's intense. And on top of all that, just the sheer volume of things that you have to do as a children's ministry leader is then you've got the wind suckers. Those are the things that just deflate. They just take the wind out of the sails. And, and I listed just quickly 10 wind suckers. And they all start with the letter C because, you know, I'm a pastor and I love alliteration. But you've got the complaints, right? No matter how great something goes, no matter how many kids get saved, somebody's going to complain because something wasn't done right or it wasn't done how it should have been or, or whatever. You know, I don't have to explain complaints to you. And then you get your critics. You know, you got your people that, you know, just constantly are letting you know what you're not doing right. And and many of them never have heard of the sandwich effect. Like they don't give you a compliment and then a constructive criticism and then end with an encouraging word. No, they're just critics. And uh, they just love to point out what's wrong and usually not by rolling up their sleeves and, and offering to be part of the solution. And then you've got the comparisons, right? Oh, well, at this other church, they do this. Or at my former church, they did that. Or the previous director did this. Or I know this children's pastor who does that. And you never can live up to these comparisons. And then there's just the complacency. You know, just a lack of urgency and a lack of valuing the children, you know, the coming late, the, the not preparing, you know, the winging it, you know, to, to just moving slow or not putting creativity into what they're doing, that complacency, it it's hard because you value kids in the ministry so highly when others just treat it like duty or something that's not that important. It drives you crazy. And then, of course, there's the communication fails, right? You know, something wasn't communicated and a room wasn't set up or a new service was added and you didn't learn about it until you saw it in the bulletin the week before. You know, there's all, communication's hard and every ministry probably struggles with communication fails, but they let you down. And then there's just the cop-outs. You know, the people that just blatantly just wimp out, cop-out, um, and just don't care. And, and it just... It just sucks the wind out of you. There's the clueless, cluelessness. <laughs> and don't don't say that to anybody, but there's people that just don't have a clue. I mean, they don't understand what it takes. They don't understand all that you do and all that you have to put up or how things go. And, and sometimes they can be the most sincere and the most nice people, 
but it's draining because there's just a cluelessness there. That cluelessness may be above you in the leadership, and and that can be hard, or it could just be with parents and, and volunteers. Then there's the coordination fails. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you worked so hard to make this work, and then it just wasn't thought through, and there was bad coordination. You know, like the people who are going to decorate the tables are scheduled to come, you know, before the people bringing the tables are, are scheduled to come. And so, you know, you got two groups that are just frustrated with each other, and it's just because there wasn't good planning. There wasn't good coordination. And then, of course, there's the competition for funds. I mean, children's ministry costs money. It costs a lot of money. And a lot of churches just don't put the priority there. And so you're trying to count your pennies. You're trying to decide what you can do, what you can't do, if there's a more effective way to do it. If your church allows allows fundraising, I think it's good when they don't because you, you want people given to the general fund. But then you're trying to raise funds for your ministry. And then my tenth C, <laughs> after complaints, critics, comparisons, complacency, communication fails, cop-outs, cluelessness, coordination fails, competition for funds, it's just the crazy stuff. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, one of my leaders says, any given Sunday, <laughs> and by that she means, you know, you just never know. You know, maybe the power goes out. Maybe the sound machine, just the sound system just starts squealing, you know. Um, maybe someone else used the sound booth and they just flipped all kinds of buttons and it's Sunday morning and you can't get the soundboard to work. And, and, it, and, and cr- I mean, just crazy stuff happens. The most the craziest stuff happens. And I'm sure you could tell me some crazy things that have happened um, to just make your Sunday or your Wednesday night or whenever you're doing ministry just go absolutely batty. Things happen. So with all these things happening, this incredible load, incredible responsibility, and then these wind suckers that come along and just suck the wind out of your sails, how do you keep your wind in your sails? So I, I want to share with you seven things that I do and that you can do that will keep you encouraged. Because if you don't do these things, you will get weary. You will get exhausted. You'll get hurt. You'll start feeling sorry for yourself. You'll 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 lose energy. You'll lose passion. And the ministry will start to suffer. And you will not survive the ministry. Or the ministry will not survive you either way. Number one, you've got to keep your focus on your calling. Why are you in children's ministry? You are not in children's ministry to keep people happy. You're not in children's ministry to have a smooth running program. You're not in children's ministry to get compliments from the parents or to have great check-in system. You're in children's ministry to serve God and to reach and to teach children with the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, reflect on Colossians 3.23, whatever you do. Work at it with all your heart. Not as though you're serving the senior pastor, executive pastor, parents, or teach. As though you're serving the Lord and not human masters. You have to do this. You have to constantly remind yourself, I work for God. Because when you get discouraged or you uh, feel knocked down by criticism or complaints, then, then you want to not work as hard. You, you don't feel appreciated. So you, you want to back off on what you do. But you have to realize, no. You work for the Lord. And so you need to work at it with all your heart as though for Him, because it is for Him. And let that other stuff bounce off of you. So focus 
on your calling and fulfill your calling and realize all that other stuff. I have a little line that I've said for years. I picked it up from a president in Bible college. It was, this too shall pass. And realize these present trials and present discouragements, they're going to pass. And you can outlast them. Number two, delight in the kids, right? I mean, you got into this because of kids, because you love kids. And so delight in the kids. There may be times where you really can't stand the week in the office. Maybe there's even times you can't stand some of the people in the office. That's okay. Be gracious. Be forgiving. Forgive as you've been forgiven. But realize that's the office. And the office doesn't have to be a wonderful place. Now, it can be a wonderful place, and, and it's great when it is. But delight in the kids. You know, the the notes you get from the kids, the kids smiling when they see you and running up, giving you high fives and hugs, their responsiveness during your teachings, watching them worship enthusiastically. Just focus on those kids and realize, you know what, those kids have no idea what I do, what I put up with, what I press through, all the things I do during the week, but you do it for them. And they don't need to know. They, they, it doesn't matter. Uh, they don't need to appreciate you. You just delight in them and realize that you are their champion and they are benefiting because of everything you do, even the yucky stuff that you have to put up with. So focus on your calling, delight in the kids. And then this is a big one, number three. Encourage others. When we're discouraged, our focus gets on ourselves. And we're dying for someone to say a positive word, for someone to encourage us, for someone to say, you know, great job on, on this or that. And, and, and we thrive on that, especially if your love language is words of affirmation. Then, then you are starving for that. And when you don't get it, then you start to shut down or you start to get discouraged. What you have to realize is what you're feeling, others are feeling it too. And so the old do unto others as you'd have them do unto you is perfect here. Start encouraging others. Start calling other people just to say they did a great job. Start writing some handwritten notes. Start complimenting as you go around on a, on a Sunday morning and, and let them know they did a fantastic job. Because when you get the focus off yourself and you get it onto others, you become encouraged. Because you start to see the positive that's going on. And then you also make sure that, you know what, I may be discouraged, but I'm going to make sure that that I am a thermostat that sends a temperature and others are not going to become discouraged because I am. I'm not going to let it rub off onto others. In fact, I'm going to battle my own discouragement by being an encouragement to others. So focus on your calling, delight in the kids, turn the spotlight around and focus it on others instead of on yourself. And then number four, you may not like this one, but number four is you just need to simply accept that there are always going to be difficult days, difficult people, and difficult situations. Some days are just going to be tough. And it's okay to say, man, this was a tough day. It doesn't mean every day's going to be tough. Today is not tomorrow. Today is not next week. Today is not six months from now. It sometimes is just a really lousy day. But you know what? It's a day the Lord has made and his mercies are new every morning. So just accept that. Some days are tough. Not every day can be Disneyland, all right? Some days are just hard work and that's all right. You also have to accept that there's there's difficult people. 
you are going to have difficult people in your life, right? If, if you're looking for a church um, that's perfect, then don't join it once you find it because you'll wreck it once you're there because you're, you're not perfect either. There's going to be difficult people. I remember way back as a Bible college student, I mean, this is way back, right? Late 80s, early 90s, when my favorite president at Moody Bible Institute, Dr. Joseph M. Stoll III, who I just referred to as my buddy Joe, I still remember this in a chapel that he gave on a Tuesday morning when he explained that God will always give you what he called a sovereignly appointed problem person. Let me say that again. God will always give you a sovereignly appointed problem person. And you know what? It has been true. In over 20 years of ministry, I've always had at least one, sometimes only one when I was lucky, sometimes a couple of them. But he's always given me a sovereignly appointed problem person. What this means is you're going to have a problem person. You're going to have someone who is a thorn in your side and who's discouraging and and who is a time sucker or a time waster and, and, a, and a wind sucker. But you know what? They're sovereignly appointed by God. Why? Because God's not in the business of building a program. He's in the business of building you. And nothing builds you and your character more than a problem person. And Joe went on to explain that you, there will be ways to get rid of a sovereignly appointed problem person. There are manipulations and things you can do. You could get them to leave the church. You could get them out of their position. You could undermine them. But if you, if you succeed in getting rid of your sovereignly appointed problem person, then guess what? God's just going to give you a new one. And the problem with a new one is you have to start all over figuring out what sets them off, you know, what, what makes them do the things that drive you crazy. So the secret, the powerful secret, am I giving away a secret? Maybe I shouldn't. Okay, I'll give you the secret. The secret is to prayerfully and graciously and lovingly learn how to deal with that sovereignly appointed problem person. They may never stop being a problem. But if you learn how to love them, you learn how to communicate with them, you learn how to work with them, they could become an asset and you win them over. You don't want to get rid of them. Do not pray that they'll go away because if they go away, they even if they move away or they die or whatever, then God's going to give you a brand new sovereignly appointed problem person. So embrace the one you have. And it's a great attitude because even when I've gone into a new ministry, I've kind of thought, okay, I wonder who my sovereignly appointed problem person is going to be. And you know what? God never fails to sovereignly appoint a problem person for you. So accept it and and rejoice in the character development you're going to have because of that wonderfully sovereignly appointed problem person. So accept there's going to be difficult days, there's going to be difficult people, and there's just going to be difficult situations. I mean, there's some things, you know, you, you just have a lousy facility. I had ministry once in a church where the children's wing was a mile away and it was a long walk down through a neighborhood because we were in the inner city. And you know what? I couldn't move the building. I had to learn to embrace it and make the best of it. It was next to a bar and I had to go early on Sunday morning to pick up all the broken beer bottles and and cardboard cutouts of, of models with beer and make sure that was all in the dumpster. And uh, it, it was crazy the things that it do. And you know what? There's difficult situations in ministry. And sometimes you just have to identify it. You know what? This is tough. Our room's too small. Our facilities are too spread out. You know, we don't have secure entrance and secure exit, whatever it is. And just accept those, embrace them, do the best you can with it, and don't stress over it. Don't dwell on it. So focus on your calling, delight in the kids, turn it around, encourage others, and accept there's going to be difficult days, 
There's going to be difficult people and there's going to be difficult situations. But you know what? That's okay because you've got a big God. Number five, practice gratitude. You know, we get so focused on the things that drive us nuts, that frustrate us, that we don't enjoy, that discourage us, that we we can easily and quickly overlook all the amazing things and amazing people and amazing situations that are wonderful. Because like a kid who's told he can't have a cookie from the cookie jar, all he fixates on is wanting that cookie from the cookie jar. And he completely forgets, you know, the Xbox upstairs and the Legos and the cars and and, and all the other things that he has because he wants that cookie that he was told he couldn't have. We do the same thing. We get fixated on our problems and instead we got to get fixated on the good things and celebrate those rejoice in those and develop that attitude of gratitude and that goes right into number six which is celebrate your victories right things are going to bomb things are going to go bad things are going to have cracks and flaws or not go the way we wanted them to but you know what not everything's going to be that way and we need to celebrate the victories we need to rejoice in the things that go well and we need to we need to celebrate those corporately. We need to compliment people. We need to say, hey, we did this awesome. This went great. This was a good Sunday. All right. This was a good weeknight at club. And celebrate the things that go well. Because when we focus on the positive, then that puts wind in our sails. All right. It's awesome. So there's only one more for you. So we got to focus on our calling. You delight in the kids. Encourage others. Accept that there's difficult days, difficult people, difficult situations. But turn it around by practicing gratitude and celebrating your victories. And your last one is simply you need to turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know, I'm not going to sing for you, but I love that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, all right, says that we are to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, all right, looking out for great times and great things and amazing, uh, glorious things that were going to come. But looking forward to that, what did he do? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. All right, Jesus had to go through tough times. And you know what? His tough times make ours like embarrassing to even be complaining about. When we reflect on what Christ went through for us while we were still sinners, being mocked, being beaten, being whipped, the crown of thorns, nails through his flesh, hanging on a cross, being mocked and ridiculed and killed. I mean, seriously, what he did for us it makes it pretty pitiful for us to really complain about whatever it is that we might be going through. And so we need to turn our focus on him. And when we are focused on him, nobody can phase us. No one can make us mad. No one can make us um, hurt or jealous or self-pity. Um, those things all come out of making it about us. When we realize it's not about us, it's about God those things suddenly become a whole lot easier. One of my favorite encouragement notes, uh, verses that I like to put in notes and that I like to just reflect on 
is found in Galatians 6 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. It, that's what happens. We get discouraged, we get weary. And when we get weary, we stop doing good. So do not become weary in doing good. Why? For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. All right? Paul wants us to know that, that there's going to be a harvest. And that means results from your efforts. That's what a harvest is. All right? Plants don't just come up unless the ground was worked, the rocks removed, the weeds pulled, the seeds pulled. It was maintained and protected, and the water had to come, and everything else that goes into that so that the harvest can come at the proper time. The proper time may not be next week. It may not be next month. It may not be until glory, but there will be a harvest. There will be results, spiritual, eternal results for your hard work if, and there's a big if in there, if you do not give up. So do not give up. Hang in there and stick with it and make sure that you don't allow human people to rob you of what God wants to give you. And that is a joy in serving him. When you get down, you just need to pray and ask God, to give you some blessings. Let's enjoy a righteous pop music song from Creative Ministry Solutions as we wrap up the podcast today. calling, delight in the kids, encourage others, accept that there are difficult days, people, and situations, practice gratitude, celebrate victories, and turn your eyes on Jesus, and you'll get some blessing. Aren't you glad you serve the Lord? Aren't you glad you love Him? Isn't serving kids a blessing? Amen to that. Oh yeah. Hey. Hey. Well, the Lord's so good to me every single day. He leads me and He guides me and He shows me the way. If your days are hard and nothing's going too good, just give your heart to Jesus. Give me, give me some blessing. 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 Give me, give me some blessing.
me some blessing. Hey, well, thanks again for joining me here on Kidman Talk. This is Carl Bastian coming to you from Kidology.org. Hey, I'm looking forward to hearing back from you from discussing this podcast on our Facebook page. You can just follow the link at the bottom of this page. Or if you're listening remotely, just go to our Facebook group and you'll see a discussion there. Until next time, keep on keeping on.